Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. Welcome to what will most likely be the third and final episode of our Best of 2017 series. Honestly, we could keep this going forever with the quality of advice we received over the course of our interviews last year, but we're soon to get a whole bunch more at Sundance next week to kick off our season for 2018. All of the episodes featured in this week's volume are part of what we here at No Film School like to call roundtable episodes. We'll try to get at least one or two of these done at every festival we travel to. The idea is really to get a group of filmmakers together and have them discuss their craft in a forum where everyone can relate to each other and build off their experiences. A lot of times they'll be fresh off seeing each other's work, so the questions keep flying and lead to some fantastic stories. We've selected three of these episodes to feature today, and it's worth noting that each of them ended up being among our most popular episodes of 2017. For those of you making short films, these clips should be especially helpful. The episodes are titled What It Takes to Get Your Short into Sundance, How to Get Your Midnight Shorts into South by Southwest, and DP Roundtable, The Shots That Almost Killed Us. First off, we're going to hear excerpts from a lively discussion I led in Austin last year with a number of filmmakers that had just finished up their screenings at South by Southwest a festival that can only be referred to as a midnight movie mecca. Among the participants are the dynamic duo of Celine Held and Logan George, who came to the festival with Mouse, producer Sarah Winchall of Whiskey Fist, and director Drew Maynard and cinematographer Caleb Dirks from The Saurus. Take a listen. What did you do to get yourself into the position where your film is now being exhibited at South by Southwest? I don't know. <laughs> Great question. Uh, no. <laughs> so my director, or the director of uh, Whiskey Fist, Jillian Horvat, uh, had a short two years ago in the uh, Midnights as well, and um, so you know I loved it. And so is that, there is there some sort of a legacy? Would you say I within South I would say Southland? so. Well, like I mean, her short it's uh, her first short is Kiss Kiss Finger Bang, which is uh, you can see it on Fandor, and uh, it's a great movie. And I mean, you know, she, she made this, we, well, we made this one together, Whiskey Fist, um, and we didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, it's not like, oh, well, we're definitely getting in, but it was like, she'd been here and she loved it so much that I know that it's really important to us to be here. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't know how we did it, but we got lucky and did it. Um, for Logan and I, we made three shorts last year in 2016, Mouse being one of them, um, yeah, uh, Logan and I have been writing a feature uh, script for um, six years altogether, three years, just the two of us. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we wanted to make shorts to prove we could make our feature. Essentially, if you take our three shorts and you put them in a pot and mix them together and you pull out what that is, that would be our feature. So that was kind of, if you're a witch and you can <laughs> do that. Um, and our, our DP had had shorts in South by before, like that's maybe an element uh, of it. And I was also an actor in, uh, a short that was in South, uh, the midnight shorts the year prior. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe hand in hand with that. Uh, this is our first time at South by, and I'd say what ultimately started our path here was, uh, Caleb and I met in, uh, LA at, uh, film school, if that's okay. Uh, that's was, fine. It was, a, a semester. <laughs> it was only a semester long. It was, yeah, we, it's okay. It's I, okay. Semester I had long, Julian like, at film study. school, too. <laughs> but I would say once uh, we graduated college, Caleb moved to Nashville, and we started just making stuff, and that's where we, uh, no shade on the film school, that's where we learned 
most of our stuff was just making stuff uh, on our own. Uh, and we, you know, stories changed and evolved. And we learned what works and what doesn't and ended up uh, screening in Nashville last year uh, and this year. And so just thought, okay, cool. Things are, people are responding positively. And I guess we'll toss one in on South by. I don't know if Caleb has more to. My confidence is a little bit bigger now. (laughs) (laughs) No, we just kept making things we wanted to. And it was like, if an idea hit that it's like, that'll only take two hours to make. Let's do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. It worked. Cool. And so you just keep going on it until it really clicks. Um, As a producer, I've I've made four shorts this year. And, um, you know, it's like you don't know what is going to do what where. So, like... Whiskey Fist is here at South By, and that's amazing. And, you know, I have other shorts playing at other festivals, and it's just sort of like, you know, as a as a producer, my directors come and they say, well, will we get in here or will we get in there? And it's like, I could pretend that I know, but it's like, really, you can't, it's just so hard to guess how that's going to hash out. So then none of you would say that you made a movie to try and get into the Midnight's portion of no, a festival. Definitely not. I mean, and, I, and I also think, um, to piggyback off of what you guys said a little while ago, that, yeah, we're just making shit we want to make. Yeah. Like, we're just doing stuff. We, we and, and, and I think to make a short, to try to get into a festival is totally the wrong way to go about it. Mm. We're, we're first time filmmakers. This, this is right. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. Get you know out. The three shorts we made last year are the first shorts we've ever made. Oh man. So then technically, uh, speaking like in terms of, um, you know, not, you don't have to give us your budgets, but like, what did you do to sort of put yourself in the position to, um, have the resources to make the film that you were trying to make? Uh, I have um, some very supportive parents, and they allowed us to shoot um, at the where we shot the source. It's kind of a lake house setting. That was big, and, and I don't know, you know, you, you can't put a dollar amount on that, but also just utilizing resources, friends, and kind of a favor, uh, work on mine, work on yours, um, scratch my back sort of deal. Um, and yeah, very expensive in the scratch realm. Actually, there were a lot of back scratches going on. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Um, a lot of butt scratches. <laughs> yeah, a lot of butt scratches. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but yeah, I think the location also kind of inspired in in a sense. And and man, locations can give you so much. I, I do agree. And then just having a, absolutely amazing friends who give up time and, and their passions big shout out to our actor who who was kind enough to volunteer and we've worked with him on stuff uh he has he's really some, good he's amazing yeah, he's hilarious. tennis <laughs> instructional videos and we've worked <laughs> with him on those they're great check out tennis tips with freddie love um and so he was all about it he was uh, he believed in the script luckily and uh was just like yeah let's hang out for a weekend and make this thing for a whiskey fist um so uh, Jillian's first film landed at Fandor after um, playing here at South by a couple of years ago. And she got, um, I mean, she's not here to talk about it, but she got the Fandor Fix Filmmaker um, title. And what they did at Fandor, which is so amazing, is basically we ran a Kickstarter last year and they were like able to help um, fill that out. And then we will, uh, if you want to see Whiskey Fist and you're patient, it will be on Fandor 
um, once we're done with our festival runs. So can I ask, how does something land at Fandor? Um, I don't know. I okay. didn't work on Kiss Kiss Finger Bang, and I don't know how, but I, I think they liked it. <laughs> I know that much. Um, and I know Fandor, what, something I do know about Fandor is that they're a big supporter of shorts, and they're one of the few places that are interested in new shorts, so it is a good... Um, resource, especially if you're interested in seeing shorts, it's a good place to go. Could prospective filmmakers like reach out to Fandor and ask them to help fund their shorts? Is that something that I they hope do? So I'm trying to do that myself. Yeah. So I um, saw that actually on your on the like how it was produced by Fandor, and yeah. I was wondering. Like, yeah. No. I. I mean, and you know, Fandor's actually had some change in staff since we started. So you know, I as a producer, I'm also just like doing what probably a lot of the listeners are doing, which is like trying to find an email address and pitching them my next few shorts to see if they'll be interested. But so far, I'm not sure. Um, and if I find out, maybe I'll like comment on this post or something. <laughs> yeah, follow up with <laughs> Keep us. Keep you guys posted, yeah. <laughs> and then you two, I mean, like you just did three shorts yeah. last year and I know you two. Mm-hmm. And I know you're very like disciplined people as far as like, getting stuff done, like scheduling out, like what you need exactly. Is that, we shot the whole thing on our own dime, all mm. three of them. Um, we, uh, you know, we got, we went to NYU, we got some debt, it's happening, but we, we think that our money is best spent on moving forward and, and, you know, pay off those loans later, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, we just wanted to, we're not, um, we're not big Kickstarter people, even though Kickstarter is a great platform and we weren't comfortable asking friends and family because we ha- we felt like we hadn't proven ourselves to anyone yet and we needed to to do that on our own. Um, Mouse uh, cost eight grand. Our other short, Valencia, cost five. Um, and Fever, uh, our third short, was shot in four different countries, um, in Tokyo, Kathmandu, um, Muscat, and in the U.S. And... Um, that one was just us as crew it probably cost two grand in, in, in total. Um, so, so Good yeah, they were, they were, <laughs> we were, we were already traveling to those places. Oh, okay. So okay, that doesn't, yeah, like, that wait, doesn't, yeah, yeah, that's a little Jeez. misleading for commercial work. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, like the fall type of approach. Right. The movie, the fall, yeah. that's the way he filmed that. Oh, was really? Shooting commercials. Yeah. Oh, in you those get places. Else to okay. send you and then you, Think of ways to make that worthwhile for your personal. That's exactly how it happened. Yeah. We knew cool. we were going to be in those countries, and we wrote a script to. We were working with high school students. Yeah. So we we wrote a script around high school students, and then they assisted us on each part, each uh, which was awesome. So we were the crew. I did audio. Logan was our DP. <laughs> we co-directed, and um, these uh, these kids were were awesome. And and yeah, Fever's doing well too, um, but. Yeah, we just thought, you know, if we want to spend money on something, you might as well, I don't know. The corners we cut were that we, it was a, it was a 16 page script that we only shot in two days mm-hmm. and we did all of our own catering and we, um, didn't have seconds. Like we, I mean, we really love keeping crew really, really small in general. And this was like, this was our first short that we had a gaffer and that was like a huge step for us to like enter into the whole lighting realm. That was like a really big point. You can tell that you point. had a gaffer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and for the most part, that doesn't include, um, post as well too, which can really get ex- ex- oh. like it, it, um, I think there's another, another, two, two. another two grand, honestly, yeah. on top of that. And, and Logan colored and edited it. So, right. Which is another way that we can keep it, um, our costs down. What, what is your labor cost like? 
<laughs> it's, <laughs> it's still free these days. <laughs> I think sitting here, now that I'm realizing like how much fell on YouTube uh, for the film, like I never would have guessed it. Aww. Like after watching it, it's like, not not to discount, like I look at you no, guys, and go, but like, oh, they had all kinds of people, but to hear that you edited and colored and, and like. Yeah, um, no, we did costumes, makeup. Uh, we did, we found the location and most amazing. of the, yeah, most of the support, like we're, we're very big on, I, I don't know. I, I guess we, we really try to keep everything within our, um, creative control, but, and it's, it's been out of necessity because of money constraints, uh, up until this point, but moving forward, if the budgets do get bigger, we are still just as passionate about like maybe not doing catering, but still like, you know, like having like a real investment in like costume choices and location and, and all of that moving forward. Well, and to piggyback on that, I don't know, my first short was last year and it was uh, $3,000. And oh, wow. we, something I've been really loved that I did then that I've kept doing as my budgets grow is like you're talking about, like doing as much as we can ourselves as possible, just because it's fun. And it's a good way to learn. Yeah, and and like it, it's just it's like you build a team that way too that you really trust and that you really love so that when you do have your budgets grow, there's a certain pleasure in being able to actually start paying people that did it before you could pay them. If you were like to have an ideal short, um, you know, like you you're looking at maybe one location, like a small cast of people, what are ways that you can ensure that you can actually make your short? Like, do you, do you go into the writing process knowing that you want to keep it, you know, sparse, simple? All of those things should always, you know, come out of the story that you write, but you also need to live within your means. You know, like we, we don't go out and start, you know, writing car explosions into our scripts because on a, on a subconscious level, like, we understand that we're not in a place of being able to do that. Um, and I, I think it's just a healthy balance. It's like you're always going to, going to come up against the, the fact that, you, you know, things are going to cost um, money and you're not going to be able to do them. But that being said, um, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to be able to do things really um, inexpensively. And it is about having that like sort of network, whether you're scratching people's backs and being able to pull favors for people. One of our shorts we shot in your house, um, you know, which was, a, which was an amazing short. Uh, one, of the, one, of the, the end, one of the end scenes we shot in your house. Um, and that kept us from having to drive out into the middle of rural America to be able to find a location like that. And it's just because of, of, of who you know sometimes. And so I guess um, to, the takeaway is to not uh, like discount any relationship you have with anybody ever because at some point down the road, they're going to have something that's beneficial to the story that you want to make. Um, so be your best self on like every single set and in every single creative capacity because all of those favors come back around if, if you're looking for them. And it's usually in ways that you don't necessarily think where it's like, like for Jillian, it, our location, one of our locations was her cousin's office. And then another location was my house. And like, you know, it's just, it's not like she hired me because as a producer, because I had a house that she liked. It mm. was like, she hired me as a producer because we have known each other since um, film school. And like, um, we'll bleep that out. You know, and I just happened to have a great driveway for what we needed. Like, it's not, 
it's not like she was like, I'm going to hire her for a driveway. <laughs> like, but you know, it's all, it's all friends and it's nice when you work that way. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Um, I would disagree with what Logan said before. Um, I think that you should never limit. <laughs> I, I, I think you should never limit yourself when it comes to writing. I think the most exciting things, um, our feature is set in a, uh, location that, there's never been a narrative feature before. Hopefully we're shooting January 2018, so I'm not going to tell you guys what is bad on here. But um, yeah, and it's, uh, it's it, it, when I first, that's the first thing I ever wrote. And um, uh, I write usually the first drafts of all of our stuff. And then Logan comes in and, and we, we finish it off co-writing it together. Um, and I think that I'm, I never want to be like, if, if a car explosion fits into it, then that's what it has to be. We have to figure out a way to do a car explosion. If that's all of the budget and then nothing is spent on anything else and everything else is favors, then that's what it is. I don't know. I think it's important to not, to not limit yourself because if that's what you're, I think it's important to tell true stories, honest stories. Um, or if you're a midnight short, crazy stories. And if that's, if that's what, um, what you need, then that's what you need, the story you need to tell. And I think, uh, going off of that, um, being realistic, though, is still so much a part of it. And knowing it's like, ooh, this does call for, for an explosion of a car. But maybe there's a way you can set that up. And all of a sudden, you're back inside and the cur- glass and the curtain comes mm, in and a bright totally. flash and a bang. It's like, dang, we just made a car blow up. And that costs us like $60 window pane, you know, there we and, go. and some yeah. lighting. So um, there's nothing more creatively fulfilling than restrictions. And yeah. Noise. Yeah. Being scrappy. Being scrappy is the best. All right, guys. So just to wrap up here, I'm going to ask you all to uh, give me uh, your best piece of advice for people who are trying to do what you guys are doing right now, which is making stuff that is successful. Best fe- piece of advice is to try to make whatever is in your head and then show it to a friend and ask them to give you the most critical feedback you, possible. Um, or write your script and send that to everybody. Get people's feedback. Be willing to ignore people and not listen, listen to them, but also you have to be open to what they're saying and what they might be identifying. But uh, you have to create and you have to fail and then you have to be open to, to your own failures until you can get something that's like, oh, it's starting to work now. This is great. I would say I, I fall into traps of uh, being prejudiced against certain things. That I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch some weird thing on uh, YouTube or something like that. So I would say be open to, um, you know, consuming media uh, that you may otherwise not be into just because it unlocks little things here and there in your brain to inform what you want to do and then help you with your voice. I really liked what you said about experimenting to find your voice. So I think um, the basis of every great uh, piece is, uh, is, is story, and it, it does start with a script. Um, like you're just saying, um, I think it's about consuming as much as possible, and not just in film. I read so many articles just read a lot of articles and I love looking at uh, pictures of the year from like as far back as I can go. Um, cause I think that there's some, there's a lot of beauty and a lot of stories and a lot of ugly that hasn't been unwrapped yet. And, um, in, in finding that it's not just drawing from a lot of times drawing from your own life can be the most powerful stuff, but, um, there's something really cool about having to dive into something and do a 
shit ton of research and figure stuff out that that can make you even more excited about it. So I would say just consume as much as you can. And again, don't compromise. Yes, what everybody is has. That's what I would have said if I had gone first. <laughs> and so to, to 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 contribute something new to the conversation, um, the um, the idea of having a team that you completely that you feel comfortable being your most artistic with. Um, we've built our crews so far, and there are people that we are keeping and people that we don't want to work with anymore. You know, it's just because you know um, your vision really aligns with some people, or you know, you feel comfortable. Um, telling someone that they're wrong or having that argument in that moment. And it may not be your group of friends, you know, it may not be the people that you think that it is. Um, but really find that out for yourself and discover, um, who makes you like your best self when you're in that mode of, of production. And I know we just spent a bunch of time talking about how shorts are great cause there's low risk, but at the same time there, I mean, it's hard, it's hard work and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of other people's times and, we're all scratching each other's backs. And so I think my piece of advice is that if you're going to do it, make sure it's something that you really care about and not just something you're making because you want to, quote unquote, be a success. Because, like, especially with this kind of thing, it's like, it's hard. And it is the ones that I've seen that I've loved the most going to these festivals are the ones where you can tell that the person was going to make it whether or not they got into a festival. And that... Like, you know, if you don't get into a festival, there's so many great outlets online for people to see your work that there's other versions of success. Mm -hmm. um, so make sure you're making something you really love. Yeah, I was at a keynote yesterday and the speaker said, like, you know, if you've made a film, then you are a success. So you've, if you've done it, then you're a success. It doesn't matter what people think or if you get into festivals because it's a fucking hard thing to do. Continuing on with the subject of shorts, but actually taking a step backwards time-wise, here's a conversation our writer Oakley Anderson Moore and I led with another group of filmmakers who just had their dreams come true in Park City, Utah. Sundance is the ultimate goal for many first-time filmmakers, but that leaves about 9,000 people left brokenhearted. So, without further ado, here's how Rob Savage, Jed Shepard, and Douglas Cox from Dawn of the Death, Lyle Corbine Jr. of Shinob, and Jessica Bashir and Charlie Hoxie of Hirat got their short films into Sundance. There's like a thing in the film industry where you like you don't get trusted to do something unless you've done something very similar before, and and it's so you kind of kind of create your own opportunity. So so I had this I had this feature film that I made, and I made it made it when I was a teenager, but it was just about teenagers it was kind of a quite a low-key Richard Linklatery relationship drama which isn't what I want to do at all I want to do big bombastic zombie movies and genre movies and all this kind of stuff um so I had so I had this feature but uh, I was pitching around all these crazy ideas including Dawn the Deaf which we're trying to make as a feature and everyone was like yeah okay but we need, you need we need to see some of this that you've done before so part part of the reason for making the short and for just throwing everything into it and trying to trying to make it as big and 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 uh Pull, pull as many resources as possible was about just just showing the kind of scale we could pull off, showing that we could nail that genre, and and then hopefully get the feature made off the back of it. I just want to say, in terms of you know what you were saying, what steps did you take, um, and just like you were saying, until you've done something, then you know. And for me, it, trying to articulate something, you know, to be it a producer, I don't know who, um, it was almost daunting, you know. Oh, in Ethiopia, hyena, or I don't know, you know. So. I just knew earlier on that I had to I had to learn to do it. I had to learn to do it. I had to 
um, put myself in a position of empowerment. I have to empower myself. So in a way, that kind of like led me to um, learn how to and start geeking around camera, you know, and uh, uh, checking out no film school, you know, <laughs> trying to learn. Yeah, 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 trying to learn as much as possible online on, you know, um, and that's how I learned. I, that's how I, I, I learned to, 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 to shoot, to operate. And, and I just decided, you know what, um, I'm just going to go and shoot this. I, I, I have my tripod, I have my camera, and that's the end of it. So, and I'm going to go and I have my subject, you know, um, and, and that was the best thing for me because instead of putting me in a place where I'm trying to, I don't know what, I was just doing. So that was uh, very, very important for me. And like, I don't know if I could add on to that as well. Like I like massively kind of credit that as like just going out and doing things is like hands down the best way to get anything done, right? That sounds silly, but it's definitely true. But also like one of the things that sometimes you miss if you don't go through any of the kind of screen education courses and things is, is some of these kind of peer groups that, you know, everyone advocates. But there's so many cool people you meet just by process of never refusing to go out for a drink, just sort of answering a phone call, like kind of, you know, replying to an email, replying to a Facebook message, just adding someone, just being interested and doing things. Like, it is, like, hands down the way you build your network. And like I mentioned before, the collaborators, we've kind of grown up with making our films are now really close friends as well. And mm -hmm. you kind of, you learn from them and they learn from you. And that's sort of, you know, that's, that's mm -hmm. our film school, right? Yeah. That brings up an interesting point because it's like, sometimes you structure the short to make people feel exactly that, you know, what happens next? What's gonna be, you know, the next step in this character's life? Or even what can the director of that film bring to us next time? So keeping that in mind, why did you guys create, did you guys create your short in a way to sort of make people think that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, cause, cause originally when Jed bought me the idea, it was like, that's an amazing feature. I've been, I've been wanting to make a zombie movie for the longest time, but you really need something quite weird and bizarre to, yeah. to you need to come at it in a slightly different way. And that seemed like it. Uh, and I was taking it, I was taking it around and I was pitching it and, and everyone was like, Everyone, everyone engaged with the idea, but there was always this question about whether hearing audiences would engage with a film with entirely deaf protagonists. If it's just going to be a lot of reading, uh, or if it's going to be, if, if it's going to put the audience at a distance. Uh, so the short film was very much a kind of proof of concept for, for no, this is engaging. This is actually uh, something that could be utilised to kind of to, to draw the horror out of the scenes in, in a in a different way. Uh, and it's meant to it's meant to leave people wanting more. I mean, we're trying to get a feature made off the back of it. So. Mm -hmm. And in the same sense, you know, it can be used for proof of concept, but it can also be used sort of as a calling card to sort of mm -hmm. show your style as a filmmaker. Jessica, did you have any intention with Hirat uh, in that sense? Yeah, um, mine was not necessarily proof of concept. Uh, I've been going back to Ethiopia for, I mean, over the years, um, uh, shooting this documentary uh, around Harar. And um, uh, when it came to um, shooting the, the Abba Yusuf story, uh, and we started editing it, I knew it was just a piece on its own. So um, it was not, it's not necessarily a proof of concept, but it's something that does uh, sort of show you a little bit of a, the style, you know, the, the voice. And um, that's how I intend to, you know, edit the other, the longer uh, feature, but it was good. To, it, it's it's a great experience because then you know because you're almost, you're also trying out you know how it how it sounds how it feels you know, and uh, this one was like yeah this is exactly 
where it's at. Yeah. So with that in mind, do you guys have projects in your back pockets that you're sort of strategically brought with you to Sundance? If a manager were to come up to you or an agent were to come up to you and be like, no, this is great. Um, I'd love to see more. Do you put yourself in that position where you're like, okay, yes, I have it already right here. Here you go. I mean, you, I think you've got to. I mean, you can't come to Sundance without a back pocket script. I think you've got to have you've got to have the next project because it's only going to be another twelve months until the next Sundance, and then everyone's going to have forgotten about you. Um, so you know, so it, it's it's lucky for us because the the thing that we're trying to get off the ground is a feature version of Dawn the Deaf, so everyone can can see it and they understand what it is and they kind of get the tone of it. Uh, so so that's what we've been taking around. It, that's really it's such a fascinating story and like but I think as well for folk like what like making films when you really know your what you want to say in your story you put yourself in those situations where when you cross paths with someone and start talking and they mention something you're like ah but that is that is what I'm trying to say and so you kind of do put yourself in that situation as well I think when you're when you're really clear in your own head about what you're doing uh, in advance of sort of going into it I think I, I don't know Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You kind of like are open, and you you let the the the, the world guide you in a way, and, and it's such an amazing guide, you know, um, like the name Hirat, for example, you know it. Um, when I went to shoot this, um, I got sick right away, and uh, I was in bed for like three days, and I was just like scared. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna go back to New York. I'm not gonna shoot anything, you know. So finally, I pulled myself up, and I'm walking around. And, um, and I'm totally sick, and there was a, a tree, so I went and I sat under the tree, and um, it happened to be like an abader, you know? And this imam, you know, comes over, and he's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I'm sitting under the shade, you know, I just needed the shade. And he's like, okay, but no, what are you doing? Uh, and I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I was here, I really wanted to do this, but I'm feeling so weak and stuff like that. And he just looked at me and he said, you don't know anything about Hayrat, do you? Obviously, you don't know anything about Hayrat. I said, no. <laughs> and he said, you know, Hayrat means everything that happens in your life is happening for you. Everything that happens in your life is for the better. You just have to know how to read it and you're not understanding. You know, all this sickness is happening for you. Understand that. Go and shoot that. Be very thankful because all of this is happening for you. So, yeah. And I just couldn't believe it, you know, and I obeyed, like literally. I just got up and I said, okay, yes, I'm going. <laughs> and yeah, so this was made with this uh, Hayrat spirit. That's, that's the name. You talk about how, like, you have the story constantly on your mind, right, when you're, when you're making these shorts. How does the short, the format of the short, benefit your story um, or any story in general versus a feature? I mean, I think shorts are good for, for capturing a feeling or a moment. Um, the nice thing about, about Dawn of the Deaf is that it, 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 we kind of designed it so it felt like a, a tightening grip and then it kind of spits you out on the other end. And it's very hard to do that for, for 90 minutes and I'm not sure anyone's going to enjoy experiencing that for 90 minutes, but you can do that. You can just really hit... A certain, a certain feeling, a certain uh, you, 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 you can you can uh, just put put the audience in 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 one state of mind for for ten minutes, twenty minutes, and then spit them out on the other end. 
I think specifically for Dawn of the Deaf as well, the the, the great thing about it being a short is myself being a, like a, a massive horror fan, all I watch is horror really. Um, I'm sick of zombie movies. Um, I've seen a, just every single one of them, straight to Netflix ones, and they're, they're all roughly the same. So it's really hard to come out with a different angle. And it's really hard to convince someone to watch a zombie. If they know zombies in it, it's a, it's already a hard sell. So having it in this kind of like short format and maybe the kind of the death thing is a little bit gimmicky, but once they watch it, they realize this isn't just your normal zombie film. This is about love. This is about society. This is about the differences between, the little nuances between people and how we um, kind of deal with people who are possibly uh, less fortunate than ourselves. Um, and yeah, so you, can, you can't really do that in, in, in a feature film. Um, without having to prove it first with with, with uh, sure so, so it is kind of a, a proof, proof of concept yeah and I, I mean I think for us um, like we were saying we, we really we're trying to create like a world and a vibe more than anything you know and <clears throat> I mean maybe we could go back and and do it feature length we're but we're working from the constraint of having no budget and having to like work day jobs to pay rent and doing this in our free time. So I mean, I guess that was the main constraint with what, you know, what we were able to produce. Um, but I think, you know, it was very freeing because our, our piece is six and a half minutes. So we're just focusing on trying to grab people for, for six minutes, for those six minutes, you know? And, um, yeah. I think I was very gravitated towards this subject specifically because for me, what it talks about is about freedom. It's about not having to ask permission. It's about doing something that nobody does or who cares if they do or if they don't. This guy gets up every night and he goes to the forest and feeds hyenas, whatever, you know, who cares? You know, he doesn't care. And I love that because I was just thinking exactly about filmmaking. I'm not, I, I don't want to explain. I, I just want to go and do it. I'm just going to go and do it. And And for me, that guy, that's what it stands for. He has like his own rhythm and he goes and he does his thing. And I love that. Yeah. And I guess like in a sense, shorts can be more freeing in that experimental sense as well. I asked this to everyone I interview. I'd really like to hear sort of your best piece of advice for aspiring filmmakers. Um, something to keep in mind that has helped you reflecting back on your own journey. The, the first thing that, that comes to mind is just... Um, finding your voice and trusting your voice, you know, cause you, you have to find what, what unique thing do you have to say? What unique perspective, what unique passions do you have that deserve to be shared with the world? And, um, and just trust that you do have something to contribute and stick with that. Yeah. When you're starting out, make a lot of stuff, make a lot of shorts. Uh, the best thing you can do. And I, you know, I found this out because I, because I, st I, st I started early and I had this film that I'd made and I was very proud of, the, but, but there was nothing like anything I wanted to go on to make. Um, and, I had, I, and, and I spent about three, three years taking this film around and pitching lots of horror movies and getting, getting kicked out of every meeting I was in uh, without a film deal. Um, and the, prob the problem was I hadn't, sh I hadn't shot enough stuff and I, I wasn't confident of who, who I was as a filmmaker. And through doing these shorts the last two years, it's it's really kind of allowed me to hone in on exactly what I want to do and have an example of an example of the kind of film that I want to go on to make. And when you're going into a room with with the absolute assurance of who you are as a filmmaker and where you want to go in your career, that's the best possible 
that's the best possible moment you can enter into the film industry. Uh, so while nobody's looking at you when you're starting out, that's the best time to figure all that stuff out, make as much stuff as possible. Um, just just uh, figure out who you are. Yeah, it's easier than ever now to make a short or, you know, you can make anything. You can make a feature, like, like really, really easily these days. So I, I think people, if they want to get into filmmaking, just to make everything, like make make something, make two shorts a year, make three shorts a year. Um, just, to, yeah, keep make stuff that you hate, you know, make, um, if you hate horror movies, make a horror movie, you know, just, <laughs> just experiment with everything bef- until you find that thing that you like about filmmaking and that you, uh, like your vote, yeah, find your voice and then there somewhere. One really good thing that you can learn from making shorts is, is, is exactly what you don't want to do. You know, I've made, I've made shorts before that I absolutely loathe and, and, and I'm blushing just thinking about them, but they, <laughs> but, but actually like I've learned so much more from, from making those films and knowing that I won't ever shoot in that style again, or, or you, you, you know, I've, th- those shorts help you figure out your priorities. And then the next time you step on set, you're much more confident. I think, yeah, like leading onto that, like one of the main pieces of advice I kind of pass on to anyone I meet in life almost is like never be afraid of making mistakes like you know you kind of dive into anything you want whether it's making a short film or like going onto a role on a different film that, that you want to experience like what that kind of role is and like you can make any mistake once and no one's gonna like call you up on it and if you learn from it that's that's how you grow as a as a person and as a filmmaker um and like i guess these guys all is like incredible like directors and writers like as from a producer's point of view i think one interesting thing is like I touched on it earlier, is is just meet as many other people and peers as possible and chat to them about films because you learn more from chatting to them. They'll learn more from chatting to you. You'll make things together. You'll you'll fall out. You'll make up again. You'll have a pint. Like you know, it's like this is a, a wonderful community to be a part of. You know, it's what's you know one of the main things that I find so special about being here at Sundance and why well, I feel really privileged to be an alumni here now. And you know, we're all alumni of each other's films that we make. You know, so. It just yeah, chat to each other. I'm getting really weepy. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to say um, the only piece of advice I, I would give to someone who wants to kind of come up with some ideas is make friends with the weird kids at school because they <laughs> they have the best stories and all the popular kids will have very generic, boring lives, but the weird kids have the sense of adventure and the kind of all the great stories about loss and love and. Yeah, I think Be, we're all stay the weird, weird kids here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all very much agree with that sentiment. Well, I don't know if it's advice. You know, it's just, you know the route that I took. It's kind of long, you know, and it's a bit lonely. I gotta say, because um, and I agree with you in terms of like meeting people and trying to talk about you know the stuff that you're you know belonging to some you know filmmaking groups. You know, I think peer uh, support is awesome because this could be a very lonely and a very weird type of. <laughs> journey, you know, and so um, I think um, belonging to, you know, to to filmmaking groups, you know, uh, because then, you know, you can see that you're not alone. You're not you're not that crazy. Uh, everybody else is, too. So, you know, you feel supported, you know, you feel you feel good about that. And then um, and and just go and, 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 and shoot the thing. Create like a group of six to ten people that you're close with, like they could be filmmakers or just other artists who you can send your film to and get, they can get your, like that's that's also what kind of saved my film is getting like really honest advice from. Yeah, from people whose taste people. you trust too. Yeah, right? exactly. So like, trust is something, I, I, 
I'm not going to go on a rant about it now because we're winding down. But in in the in the wider industry, I think trust and faith in, in filmmakers is something like was spoken about before. It's becoming harder to prove, mm. and you know. I completely agree to find a group of people that you trust and who trust you enough to be able to tell you what they think honestly is is really key. Um, yeah, because when you don't go to film school and you have no film school, it is about creating your own peer group and, and that's you know that's mega important. I think. And then I'd say just on the flip side of that, be honest with people. You know, like if someone's movie sucks, that's your friend. Don't be afraid to tell them that it sucks. You know, or like, don't be afraid to tell them what's wrong what with is it. A, there's some great Nietzsche line. What's the, anybody know the Nietzsche line? It's like, it's like be a. Be a, be a pillow, but like a tough one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally butchered. Finally on the program today are some excerpts from a DP roundtable that Liz Nord led back at South by Southwest with cinematographers Autumn Eakin, who shot The Light of the Moon, which won the South by Southwest Narrative Feature Audience Award, James Axel West, who shot Easy Living, and Shane King, who shot The Untold Tales of Armistead Maupin, which won the South by Southwest Documentary Spotlight Audience Award. And while the episode is titled The Shots That Almost Killed Us, I haven't included any of those stories, opting instead to highlight their killer industry advice. Here it is. Each of your films in its own way has these very intimate moments with its... uh protagonists even in the doc situation many times docs you're you know it's even more intimate because it's real life um and as the dp you all are the folks kind of closest to the subject other than the director so what's your kind of approach or strategy in in those in the more very you know raw personal kind of moments that you're shooting oh um definitely if you can have act real conversations with the actor beforehand, um, especially for this film particularly, Stephanie Beatrice is the lead who plays Bonnie. And, you know, it's a very, uh, she's a victim of, sex, of sexual assault and it's a very intimate portrait. We are following her, you know, for these six weeks post this assault. And it's very, very true and very vulnerable. Um, so I think that the production team, um, you know, did a very smart thing and had everyone meet before like cast and crew and things like that and, and hang out and discuss, um, and get a feel for each other. And even with Michael Stahl, David, who plays her, her boyfriend, you know, we, there are some pretty intimate sex scenes, things like that, where, um, you know, I also shoot documentaries, so it's, I'm very, very used to asking people <laughs> to trust me um, to film their most intimate parts of their life. Um, and I, you know, I think that if you can connect with that actor as, you know, Stephanie Beatrice and not Bonnie first, mm-hmm. that always helps. Um, and just to, to sort of have a dialogue that I understand what position you are being put in right now. Um, and I'm, I'm here for you and I'm here with you. And, you know, that goes a long way to in the moment when you're uh, in a room, she only has underwear on, the sheets falling off, you know, whatever. It's like, no, no, I got you. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to protect you, um, you know, in whatever way, whether that means like tilting up a little bit or, you know, not letting not letting, uh, you know, whatever happen. It's just there's a there's something really important to me about having some sort of conversation before we get to the nitty gritty. 
Yeah, I think, like Autumn said here, I, th I think trust is so huge. I mean, w with a narrative or a documentary, um, because, you know, I, I think I just come in and I, I just try to be a, no a regular guy with actors. I don't, I don't, you know, bow down to them in any way or pretend like I, I just try to just be a regular guy with them. And, and I think that it helps the director trust me a lot and I think that helps when I meet the actors and yeah I, there's a lot of intimate scenes in easy living I don't know I think I'm kind of a quiet guy too and I think I've heard actors say like I didn't even know you were there you know and I, I'll I operate myself so I just try to like you know not be there or be you know just be really quiet and let them do their thing and you know it's, it's even non you know well, we think of intimate scenes, but just intimate emotional scenes. Yeah, vulnerable scenes. Yeah, anything. I, I'm just, you know, I just do my thing. I'm, I'm just trying to translate the, the vision to the, you know, through the camera to the screen for the viewers. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, I just don't want to be, a, I'm not, I don't, I think you just have to not be obnoxious or, yeah. you know, I can imagine people out there. And it must make actors feel very vulnerable, you know. But yeah. and they're there and also I'm sure there are plenty of people who are making the scene about them as yeah. the camera person, you know, if you're operating yourself especially. But um, for the light of the moon, we shot on Alexa Classic, the EV, and uh, we had ultra primes. Um, I think in large part because um, you know we well I should say that we were able to get a really great package because of people at VER Cinema, which, um, you know, I, before, you know, before last year probably, I came up as a camera assistant in New York, a union camera assistant. So whenever people, whenever they said, oh, VER, a different producer had said, oh, VER. And I was like, I think they do like cables and monitors and stuff, right? You know? And they were like, no, 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 they've, they've, they've had, they have a full, like, camera these huge camera bays and they're really like going going more towards that that side of it they have a bunch of stuff and they have a real incentive to build relationships and to grow relationships so luckily I had shot a commercial <laughs> a few months before I think a few months or so before we started production on light of the moon so I was like remember when you said <laughs> you were when you know budget doesn't budget doesn't matter just like come to us and see I was like well I've got this uh, indie film <laughs> and so they they really came through they were really really amazing so um as we all know here you know having a a rental a rental house that has your back with that kind of thing where I'm like I really it's a it was a, a almost almost all handheld film I was like I really need a wireless follow focus you guys get us suppressed you know you mind get us suppressed and they were like Nope. We said, whatever you need, we're going to give you whatever you need. So, um, wow. that was really, really wonderful. Um, and it was, like I said, it wasn't all held handheld film would have loved to have the mini instead of the, the classic, mm. but, um, thank goodness for easy rigs. And they, <laughs> I can't even imagine. I used to, you know, I'm from like the middle generation where I operated on, you know, 35 Arielts and things like that without there was no easy rig then and I'm like wait 
why 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 have i ever <laughs> those cameras are kind of balanced really well though no they are like, like and that is like shoulder. you were saying like the ergonomics they're made the, to be handheld the newer digital it's yeah. tough yeah. yeah yeah so um you know whenever whenever you know that's they were like we can't do the mini we can do this and i was like mm-hmm. okay great um so i love that i love the amira a lot um especially for some like the more doc style commercial thing that is you know very popular now it's similarly because of the ergonomics um, and also just the look the you can trust what you're getting like what you see in the viewfinder um, but I own I actually own a, um, a 4k Sony f5 which um, is great I mean I love I love that camera it's kind of like my workhorse and I can do commercial type projects on it I can shoot docs the doc I was talking about before that's what we're shooting on so yeah little little workhorse yeah the cameras you mentioned do seem to be the ones that come up over and over again sort of f5 on the dock side Mm -hmm. and the aries on the narrative side um and thank you for reminding me i do have to give a little shout out to video facts in san francisco which as we were shopping for cameras they um one of the people who works there is a huge fan of Armistead Maupin and has been his whole life and gave us screaming deals on all the cameras we wanted to rent for the um, for that project. And, and that was how we kind of decided what camera to buy. I feel like this is a great, you know, tip, you know, unintentional tip too for our listeners is like these relationships matter, you know, be kind and generous with your rental folks and they probably will return that yeah, well, I mean, we are, we bring, we also bring them money. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, hopefully when you can, but not just the producers, but it also helps us. And, uh, you know, when a producer says like, oh man, we really need this kind of, kind of deal. Do you, you know, do you have any relationships? And I'm like, actually, I have someone that will stand behind me, um, which it sounds like you had experienced with Panavision before. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's important. I try to tell younger people like camera assistants and you know get gaffers and best boys like and 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 getting the producers on like smart producers will pay for the prep days and you got to get the guys are part of the show in there to check out the gear and then even on returns if you can talk your producer into helping out with the returns it's huge because they could they could bring back a nice clean package you know, I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is just don't dump a bunch like of gear. Unclean. <laughs> yeah, be professional. Don't dump a bunch of unclean gear back in a rental house. I mean. Well, we always ask uh, advice. And I, I think I have a two-parter here to wrap things up. One is general, you know, aspiring DP advice. But another is advice for directors about how to or not to communicate with their DPs. So take take one or both. I have an insight that I came up with about being a DP. I was shooting in the Chronicle, working with a uh, um, uh, journalist, and he like dropped his pencil or something while we were working together. And I was like, oh, I can see you're not a DP. You you know you obviously work with the written word and not moving images. And I, and it occurred to me, I was like, I bet there are no clumsy DPs out there. So that's a word of advice to an aspiring DP. If you're clumsy, find another career because you have to be 
physically capable to do this job. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, you have to like really long hours, little sleep. It's just, and, and grueling conditions. I mean, as, as you've heard here, I think, <laughs> I mean, I get excited about it and want to do it. <laughs> And I think that helps if, on that on that note, it helps if you um, can find people that you collaborate well with and that you admire what they do or how they do it or, you know, their style, whatever directors, you know, their style or something. Um, that's what makes that stuff possible of like putting up with the hours, with the travel, with the whatever is um, hopefully you're collaborating with people and creating relationships with people that you want to actually make things with. Um, and I think to directors, especially if you're aspiring, you know, I mean, I always will probably when I'm 65 still consider myself like an aspiring DP because there's, many uh many layers many more tiers to to it but um i think if you're especially an aspiring director and then working with a dp who tends to be one of the more experienced people on you know like indie indie sets or whatever i think um you know have a lot of conversations and feel secure a lot of times directors will get um defensive and intimidated by the DP, thinking that, um, and I'm sure maybe some DPs are just jerks, but um, intimidated by what you're, what the DP is actually doing is helping you and collaborating with you, and not trying to to take your to take your spot or take over your your role. It's really like that is our job um, is to collaborate with you and use us for what we're supposed to know and you we use you for what you're supposed to know and do you know and to not yeah it's a collaboration and that's a, that's supposed to be a good thing that's great advice anything uh, anyone have anything to add yeah i think so if i was to give advice to young cinematographers i would i would say the keep it simple thing and which, which can cover a million things so i'll say one thing for keeping it simple is uh, don't try to add lights to get rid of shadows. If you shoot something with one light or two lights, great. Don't worry about a single shadow. You'll never light a shadow, shadows out of your frame. I just see it a lot with young people, so. And then my, um, for people that are, for directors, up and coming directors, I think um, maybe one thing is, is commit to the shot and then just do the multiple takes. Don't change something in the middle of doing a shot because what's always what always happens it winds up getting cut together. Like I've seen it where they change props or they want the DP to change the lighting, and you have to be careful because once you start shooting it, they might want to cut both those things together, and it just kind of becomes crazy. So once you commit, I almost think of it as like signing off. Like you sign off. Okay, we're gonna shoot this. Take one, take two, take three, take four. Minor adjustments with the actor, but the set is kind of locked. Unless it's something major. Yeah. But Yeah, like have faith in your vision. Like, like you put a lot of, yeah. hopefully, <laughs> put a lot of prep work into yeah. creating this world, you know, in that yeah. p particular shot or that particular scene. I mean, it's never perfect for a, a cinematographer because cause we have this thing called the 90% rule. If you're 90% there, shoot it, you know. 
don't try to keep you'll never get to 100 percent. yeah and i would say i mean as a dp the, the, my biggest frustration with working with directors is just not having some time up front to kind of plan things out like just expecting to be able to show up on set and be handed a storyboard or have no storyboard or and or you know just no discussion of what things are going to look like and they you know they give some kind of vague reference to to something they want it to look like and then trying to scramble together and make that happen on this on the fly where like a one hour conversation the day before or a week before would have made it really easy to execute that's such a good point I think there's a, this idea that like oh well that that DP is really talented so they just like walk in and can do anything and yes they may be talented but that odds are if you're referencing this person they have become someone to be referenced because they've put a lot of prep work and the director and the producer and all that they they understand the importance of prep right they they know what piece of equipment to bring in order to make a certain kind of shot happen yeah yeah i've, I've been there before they're really just they're just like just hit the record button Ugh. and I, I don't you know I, i'm not a diva in any way but it's it's cinematographers i think are kind of like actors you know you kind of just need to know where am I you know yeah what's and, the story what are we doing here w when they say stuff like that's happened to me before they're just like just hit the record button and I'm just like uh, okay boy that's offensive uh, yeah um so just to follow up on that <laughs> yeah you hit a you hit a real good a real good point <laughs> well that's all she wrote on these puppies I hope you've enjoyed listening to the past couple weeks worth of interviews half as much as I've enjoyed taking a trip down memory lane and revisiting them here's to a ton more great new content in 2018 to make sure you don't miss out on any of it subscribe to the no film school podcast on whatever podcast platform you so choose and if you so happen to so choose iTunes go ahead and drop us a nice little five-star rating I'm John Fusco. You can follow me at Jim underscore John underscore Jim on Twitter. And No Film School is at No Film School. We'll see you next week at Sundance.